0: Learning how to grow your business, that is your job. Being the one to do everything in your business, however, is not. Welcome to That's Not My Job An Introvert's Guide to Building a Business Beyond Yourself. All right, everybody. So, welcome to another episode. Super excited to have a guest on again, you know, Kyle Pearson. And it's really funny because you know we actually met years ago uh, in my earlier twenties. You know, from afar. You know, I've been watching uh, his business grow for years, and you know, seeing him you know professionalize more and more. And somebody also you know great to follow on Instagram for the things that he's doing and. And the content that he's putting out. So, you know, just want to say, you know, thank you, Kyle, for for being here. Uh, excited to talk more about uh, your business with you as well. So, if you'd like, you know, tell it, tell us about, you know, what what do you do? You know, what is what does your team look like? You know, what is kind of the the revenue for for the company? How long have you been doing it? And you know, we'll we'll dive into some things that you're working on and. You know, maybe some things that you're trying to accomplish, overcome here in 2024. Absolutely, Cody.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. My name is Kyle Pearson. I'm the owner of Pearson Moving and Storage. Here, we're located in Mesa, Arizona. I am now in my 11th year of business. Started this company when I, I like to say, a young and dumb 19 year old. Um, you know, obviously starting a business is very difficult and. Starting it at 19 is a great time to start a business because you don't really know of all the the what ifs. You kind of just dive right in and and take it how it comes. But yeah, I mean, I remember, gosh, it had to have been like nine years ago. You took me to Chipotle. I remember we were both young. Yes, Chipotle
0: and Santa Park.
1: That was it. And we were just chatting, and we had a bunch of mutual friends and whatnot, and we were talking. And I remember at the time, you were telling me, you were talking me what you were doing every day, and the, you know, the call list and stuff. And I was like, dude, you're you're a hustler, man. Like that's, it's awesome. So. Uh, it's been a good good friendship here over over time, watching you grow and your your success. But yeah, so we offer residential, commercial moving and storage services. We offer interstate moving, packing, pretty much everything having to do in the moving world. You know, my company, I, I, I like to talk about it because ten years goes fast, okay. And so we we've completed ten years now. And when I started this business, I had no moving background. I didn't, I didn't even know there were moving companies that existed. You know, I was challenged by my best friend at the time. I'm not kidding. I was in college. I came from a normal family in Gilbert. Family said you go to college, you get a business degree, you go work for the man and that's that's what you do. Growing up in Gilbert, I had a lot of friends, um, you know, that lived in the the custom home neighborhoods and things like that, and I remember paying attention. I I remember paying attention. And I'm like What do their dads do? And that that was it. They own businesses. And so I knew that that's what I wanted to do. It's easier said than done because I was like, what am I going to do? At the time I was going to college, I was at ASU, and my best friend legitimately double-dog dared me. He's like, why don't you go buy a trailer and start moving people? And I thought about it for five seconds. I had $3,000 in my savings account at the time. I was working a part-time job at a Lexus dealership. And I went and bought a cargo trailer on Craigslist and started advertising moving services on Craigslist and ran with it. And one thing about myself, which I like to attribute is anything I do, I'm going to go all in. It, failure was not an option. As cliche as that sounds, like it was just, this is what I do. This is my personality. This is, I'm going to be a mover and we're, we're going to hustle and we're going to do a good job. And luckily it blossomed into to something great. Lots of potential still out there. Uh, Growing this company, which I'm excited about. But I am a true entrepreneur, but I'm also a father and husband. And so looking back at my last 10 years, I've I've gotten married, I've had two kids, we have a third on the way right now, and I like to describe myself as just a, a typical American dad because as I was growing my business, there were multiple plateaus, and those plateaus came along with Having the first kid, you know, having the second kid, getting married, things like that. So there were the growth years and then there were the sustained years, I suppose would probably be a good way to look at it. And that's where we're doing this show together because you excel in helping people get to the next level automation, you know delegating and everything that, that you consistently talk about on this show. I have a good structure. We have an awesome structure. I've got two gentlemen in my office that are fantastic. We have our full-time uh, sales manager who handles everything sales-related, and then we have our full-time operations manager, which his position is to train the crews, hire, make sure all of our customers experience a five-star service, and be able to problem-solve on the fly with anything that can occur, because moving day is never a walk in the park. And so, underneath them, we have usually about ten movers on staff, and so our so our team consists of about twelve people, all in. And our revenue since about twenty one, so the last three years, uh, we've been we've been right at that million dollar a year mark. And I've been in. Growth mode, I mean, since then. So for the last 24 months, I keep telling myself, we're going to get to the next one. We're going to get to the next one. We're going for two mil. We're going for two mil. I don't like making excuses. And so I don't have an excuse on why we haven't been able to blow past that. Uh, we've been implementing new things. We've been trying new things is what I could pat myself on the back is this past year over across the industry, uh, moving has seen roughly a 30% decrease in revenue for, you know, average based off the housing market, interest rates, you know, your typical consumer is not moving as much. And that's been really hard on the industry. I'd like to pat ourselves on the back and say last year we saw seven percent growth from the year before. And I'm looking at that and say, I'm seeing my competition go out of business. I'm seeing my competition report record losses, and we were able to grow still. Which I'm, I'm telling myself, you know, hey, you did a good job. But I don't like making excuses. I want to get to that two million dollar mark. I want and, and grow past that and so that's where we're at Uh, we have a great business we have a beautiful office here in mesa and we have a great team like i I love our culture i love our guys i want to keep reforming culture i i'm jealous of some of these businesses that have like incredible like you guys post about like your work parties and your culture and you guys talk about it on your podcast and on Instagram and stuff. And so I am jealous of that and I'm, I'm working to, to aspire to that. But I, I love my business, man. It's got my name on the side of the trucks and it's something I'm proud of. It's not something I was proud of for a long time because I was really timid. I actually had a full beard for like my first seven years of business. I wanted to portray that I was older and more mature than I actually was a 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid owning a, owning a moving company. And now that I'm in my... I just reached 30 this last year, I'm like, I catch myself wanting to look younger now. And so... but i i am (laughs) i am proud of the business and i'm excited for what's to come so i'm excited to to hear from you and gather gather that wisdom
0: i love it dude i turned 30 this year and i'm like oh my gosh i feel like i'm having a midlife crisis but 10 years before i guess you're supposed to i was just you know, through December, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm turning 30 in five, six months. And yeah, I could definitely relate uh, with that. I couldn't grow a beard. I didn't have much facial hair until I was like 25. So, you know, I just looked like I was 12. I would just try to talk as confidently as I could, to, you know, have people trust me. <laughs> so I definitely, definitely resonate with that. You've been able to have your business running for 11 years, which most businesses fail the first couple of years. The amount of businesses That are sub a million a year are actually like there's millions of businesses in the United States. And the amount of businesses that reach a million a year is in the like hundreds of thousands. And it's like so it's like a significant gap, you know, that solopreneur state, which is like how you started, where you're the one doing everything, like you're talking to the customer, you're telling them, you know, the pricing, you're then going after you got the deal and actually probably facilitating, you know, the moving yourself. And then after the moving's done, like quality checking, making sure everything's done. And then, you know, hustling, getting on the phone and between all of that to try to get another move probably scheduled. And it's just, it it becomes for a lot of people which is really impressive about what you've been able to do is what most businesses stay stuck in is in that solopreneur phase where it's themselves maybe they have one or two people helping them at some point but a lot of people get stuck in that um and it's you know there's a lot of limiting beliefs that i think a lot of business owners have where they're like you know they the people won't care as much as i will they're not going to do as good of a job as i will you know they're not going to treat my customer the same as i will it's like all of these things that you know, really just become limiting beliefs. And and then also the risk tolerance to do what you've done of like hiring team members and building, you know, having a dozen people working within within the company. It's like, those are all massive hurdles that most business owners aren't able to, you know, overcome. And so it's, it's super cool that, you know, you've been able to do that, you know, working through of like, okay, like, what's the gap from that million to going to two, three plus million a year. And I guess even like, is it even the goal to want to do that? Or I guess, what's your goal with with the company? It's like, is it like, all right, freaking 10 million a year moving storage and all the things? Or is it like, I want to get it to a certain amount of revenue, maybe hiring another manager that, you know, kind of takes a lot of, you know, your time away from the business and spending more time with the family, you know, and kids or like, what, what does that look like for you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you asked because that has been an answer in the making for the last 10
1: years. First off, I'm really passionate about business in a whole and business, my, my business. I'm extremely passionate about them. And the thing is, is I like to consider myself as a really high level worker, when I'm working, I come into my office, usually about three days a week, usually going to be in by 7am. And I go hard up until about 12 noon. And it's, I I like to say I get a lot done. And it's it's head down five hours straight and go after that point, I'm usually tapped out. Like I feel good. I got like, man, I just I, I like to say I got an entire work day done in that five hours, I can make excuses. And you know, there's obviously my other people are working harder than me. I get that. But I go home and then I'm, I'm with my family. And that and that's what keeps me going. That's my priority. Um, not saying that I don't, I mean, I have a home office. My If you ask my wife, I work all the time, uh, you know, on my phone and things like that. But the fact that I'm seeing my kids in the room across from me, you know, playing, whatever they're doing, just growing up that's what makes this entire program work for me. And I know everyone's different, but that's what makes it works for me. I like providing opportunities. Like the two guys I have in the office, you know, they, they know their their jobs for the day. They, they're bringing in the sales or executing. I mean, that's, that's really the formula in, in business is the sales and the execution of it. And so I like being able to provide those opportunities. If I were to paint a vision of what my life looks like, it would be to have a reason to... Travel with my family for business purposes. I like the moving industry. Definitely a viable option to have different locations across the country. I want an excuse to have a family moving airplane and be able to travel and I have a mix between my moving business, maybe some other home service businesses. As, as you're very familiar, you know, a lot of the systems and processes will, will translate. And then just recently got started investing in real estate. Uh, about the last fifteen months, uh, we've done two house deals out of state now, and uh, that's been super fun too. I don't have a construction background or anything like that, but I am learning very quickly. Um, I've always been good at least in like the vehicle and toy market on finding deals i I, I love deals like i that I'm extremely passionate about deals buying and selling and things like that and i've I've had good success with toys and vehicles as you know total different game in real estate if you can find that deal in real estate there's there's a lot bigger lottery ticket available and so i think a mix between that too growing growing this business and possibly others continuing investing in real estate and then gosh, man, if if the Lord permits, have a family moving airplane that allows us to travel and, and see other parts of the country, I think would be the ultimate vision for myself.
0: I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> so one thing that's interesting that I noticed, I don't know when you uh, started doing this or if you always had been, so I, I could just be wrong on this, but I remember it was just like Pearson moving. And then I, then I remember at some point just seeing storage added on there. Mm-hmm. And so- yeah. You know, what, what do you, what do you see like the plan with that? Is that like to create, you know, recurring like monthly storage residual revenue from like, you know, holding, storing people's stuff. And I guess, you know, are you planning on like adding on additional, you know, verticals to what you're doing? Like, I don't know, like junk removal services or like, you know, I don't know, like what, What does that kind of look like? I'm going to quickly touch
1: on the junk removal just because that's a shorter topic where I can blow through that. Uh, When COVID happened, I had... um a a general manager I had hired at the time. He came from a junk removal background. And so he's like, hey, let's add junk removal. So we bought a dump truck. We started advertising. You know, We did it for about six months and I was not a fan. And the reason I wasn't a fan was because we were struggling with competing with the Facebook neighborhood groups where an unemployed person would clear out an entire garage of junk for someone for 50 bucks he had a pickup truck and he wasn't doing anything and he wanted the cash. As a company with overhead and insurance and employees, it was really difficult to compete. And again, I don't want to make excuses because you've got a lot of successful junk removal companies that are doing it right. Just the way our moving company was structured, it was difficult for me to blend the two. I couldn't figure it out. And so we stopped that after about six months. That was was our experience with junk removal. Now the storage began two and a half years ago. So I bought the building that we're in. So I we we were renting a small warehouse space in Chandler for like the first six, seven years of our business. And you know, after seeing how the world how those who are successful get more successful, I said, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go buy a commercial building and we're going to have it pay for itself through the vehicle of the business. And so we did, it was in middle of COVID, um, when everything was uncertain. Um, we, we explored a new build opportunity for building a warehouse on like an acre of dirt, trucking company, we need storage, we need space for the trucks, things like that. And I had a slap of reality when I was meeting with some design firms, and it was going to be well into the seven figure range, which was not something I was prepared to do at the time. And so building was not going to be an option at this, at that period. Um, but it's what we did find was we found, you know, they're called the flex space, condo space, you know, warehouse facilities. Um, we found a shell, uh, a shell unit, um, that there was a family. Uh, so we're in North Mesa, we're right across the street from Falcon field airport and Boeing. And it's, it's a really nice part of town. So I'm really happy with it. Uh, we found a family business that was in the carpet space, Um, it's like a multi-generational family business and they owned like four of these units. Just so happened one of these units was simply just their excess storage space. They had no infrastructure in it. They had their office and stuff in the other units, but this one unit was simply a shell. They hadn't developed it. I had a friend of mine, who actually owned a unit in this complex and he helped me get in contact with this family Um, it was during COVID again so this family was looking to they had the unit paid off and everything and they were looking to they were downsizing um, as a lot of businesses did in COVID I was able to work an off-market for sale by owner deal with them and we had the local title facility you know facilitate it all we did the SBA loan I know people have mixed feelings with the SBA i you know, I can't say I'm going to raise my hand to work with the government at any chance. Um, But young entrepreneur buying real estate through your LLC with a loan and everything like that. The SBA was a great outlet, outlet, uh, outlet for me. And so we did it. Everything came together. We did a full construction loan. And so I got to design my space. I'm really proud of it. We did like the glass walls and of a a modern industrial spin on it super practical but in the warehouse we do storage and so our store our monthly storage that we bring in from customers takes care of most of our mortgage on this building which you know allows this to be you know a great asset hold for me
0: what percentage of that space that you have is like you know filled with you know customers that have the the moving like is it like pretty much filled up and you're like oh my gosh like i'm gonna need to expand this or is it like yeah we you know we're kind of in and out and it's, it's kind of sporadic like what does that look
1: like yeah so we are storage hold with customers from what we have available in the warehouse where you were always going to be between about 80 to 110 percent of our capacity and when i say 110 percent, i mean like we have all the units filled up and then we've got items palletized on the floor, which is usually going to be very short term like that customer is only in for like a week until their their new house closes. And then they get back out or sitting back about a 90% threshold. So I would love the opportunity to expand that I lean a little more conservative when it comes to investing with my business than maybe others. And so the idea of like running out and either purchasing another building or anything like that, um, I'd like to do that very calculated. And so I haven't considered that yet but for for yeah for the the business model we have right now it's it, it works man and it works
0: yeah i mean because the thing is like okay so uh, you know let's let's kind of talk through some of <coughs> some of that so out of the you know the revenue what percentage of it is it attributed to that storage you know the storage throughout the
1: year it's very small it's going to be gosh Three to it's five percent of revenue a year. It's not a large money maker for our business. I know of some very successful moving companies here in the valley that I, I network with, and he, I mean, with their storage, I think they generate. A hundred thousand dollars a month in in revenue, and we do three to four thousand a month in our storage revenue, and so it's it can be a very successful game. What that gentleman has done is he has catered his storage business to the commercial vendors that are on that are constantly requiring that. So your high end stagers and things like that. That's one of my struggles. Is gosh, man, I just don't know how to go out and form those relationships with the right client, and so I think that's that's a holdback for me.
0: You know, like you said though, it's like, you know, what's your risk tolerance? Cuz a lot of businesses risk tolerance. I'm like, what are you comfortable, you know, opening yourself up for? But, you know, I look at that and it's like, obviously like growing the moving, you know, revenue seems like a great thing to obviously continue to keep doing, but if you're able to buy another building and, you know, have I don't know what the mortgage is going to be, you know, four to $8,000 a month, but it's enough space to generate another 10, 12, 15, plus thousand a month. I mean, obviously, you know what the math is now based on the square footage. Like what's the revenue per square footage of the storage that you're able to get and then seeing, okay, what would the math have to look like on buying maybe another building to then be able to fill that up? And like, what would would have to change to be able to add on that additional business to start filling up that space? You're already at capacity. So like that's already you know, I'm sure that's a problem at times. I'm, I mean, I would guess you probably turn away customers sometimes, right? Because there's too much stuff.
1: Or sometimes, that- yeah. That specifically is not as much of a problem for us right now just because storage clients don't come to us as, as often. So it usually times up at an okay time. But I mean, yeah, there has been plenty of times in the last two years where we're like... We are full on storage. If you want to go find a place down the road, we can move you into it. That's been the conversation a couple times.
0: And obviously, like, it's just doing the math, right? It's like, okay, if there was another space, like, what would it take to get it to a break even based on what you guys charge now? Because there's that hidden wealth builder behind the moving or behind the storage, which is the building that you're buying. That's then the, you know, the principal paydowns happening over years. And even if it's, you know, at the initial stages, not extremely profitable, like maybe it's break even or a little bit above that. And then you work on adding on to it like you. You're also getting that building. You're getting tax benefits too to, you know, go against your, you know, your personal income as well. Obviously, that's something that, you know, your personal risk tolerance has to make sense for. But it seems like that would be a really good opportunity to you know be able to expand and grow your wealth longer term too with the real estate. I do want to you know transition a little bit on like what do you, what do you think with your your team is preventing you from being able to go from that million to 2 million? Like what do you think the gap is? Like if you had to say like top one or two things.
1: The biggest thing would be a, to acquire more leads. Um you know, we have the data that tells us our closing rates. We have the data that tells us The number of leads we're getting per month, and what sources are providing the most, and we've we've learned a lot of those lessons this past year. We've turned off marketing streams that haven't been performing, and um, I guess the scary thing for me would be to go double my ad spend. You know, Google is a huge driving force for home service businesses, and the thought of me just doubling that mark, that um, excuse me, that budget, doubling that budget this month. It's a little nerve-wracking for me, but I know that that's a holdback.
0: And so, yeah, leads. We have the infrastructure. Do you know what the average revenue per move is? Like, you know, across the board, so like in a year, it's like, this is how much our average move is going to bring into the company. Yep. Average move is going to be about $1,300. That from a twelve month
1: perspective, it's gonna be a thirteen hundred dollars service. My salesman closes one in every two leads. He closed about fifty percent right now, which is great. I've had I've had salesmen that have closed one in three three before, uh, but he's he closes one in two, and I think that's great. So
0: we have that data, you know, and I. It's, it's Formula. So, how much does it cost you to generate one closed move right now? So, it's about a hundred dollars in that that
1: marketing cost tied to that to that customer.
0: So, if you spend one hundred dollars, you know that you're going to close a thirteen hundred dollars sale. Yes, dude. Like, that's like, pour the gas on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, gosh, thinking about this, the way you're you're saying I'm like, holy crap, man, I need to stop making excuses.
0: A lot of it's math. Like, obviously, team members have to perform and all of that. But, like, it all could be worked back to the formula. Because it's like, if you look at, if your average move is $1,300, and then we look at, okay, so it's $1,300 on average. So, what does it take to get one $1,300 sale? It's going to take you know, however many leads. And if we can get the cost per sale, the cost per sale to actually get a closed sale is a hundred dollars, bro. Like I would be, I would be spending as much as I can. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, those numbers, you know, it's, it's just what, I guess what's, it's just been the kind of the, the, is it like a limiting belief maybe around just like spending more and it's just like a, you know, scarier ad spend or like, what do you, what do you think it is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll be completely honest. Since COVID, as every industry and every business and every society, you know, city, society, we've seen expenses skyrocket, right? So, so margin, margins, margins have been shrinking with the cost of insurance exactly. and labor, yeah. and exactly. And so, I think as I'm watching that, I'm coming into, I'm holding my cards closer because I'm like, hey, we're gonna weather a storm. Everyone talks about this. Economic downturn and real estate, and people aren't going to be moving. and election year and all this, all this fun stuff. And so, the thought of me losing my business is is really the grim reaper behind the door. You know, I, I, yeah. it's an uncomfortable feeling. And so, I think the yeah. the thought process of just just going for that has been nerve wracking for me. But I mean, it's it's obvious that you got to spend more to make more. And so, just having this conversation with you is like it's just real. Like, I'm just like, man, like, you're right. I just need to go onto Google, double that budget.
0: And the thing is you could turn it down if it's, if it's not working. Right. It's like, give right. it a time to, to be able to work. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you look at, okay, so it's, you spend, you know, a hundred dollars, you're going to get a sale that's $1,300. Then it's just, okay. Then the math in between, right? Like you have, cause that's not all profit. So, you know, it's right. like, there's, right. you have your cost of goods, all in Mm -hmm. there that you know that's Mm -hmm. part of that you have your sales you know the sales team commissions so do you know what the cost is to the company to Mm -hmm. acquire that sale totally like it's it's a one good measure is knowing what is the cost from advertising to get a sale but then it's Mm -hmm. what does it cost the company to fulfill Mm -hmm. an average sale so like of that 1300 dollars, do you know what that looks like to actually fulfill that from like you know percentage like from a percentage basis Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, typically with payroll fuel sales commissions, that's usually going to be about 50% of the, of the total, um, you know, payroll is, we try to keep that under 40% and, um, you know, you've got fuel and driving these big trucks, things like that. But I'd, I'd say all in, we, we try to be about 50%. And that's been a newer metric. That I've been studying and I'm embarrassed to say that, uh, but I try to better myself and so after 10, 11 11 years, I've learned that there is actually a formula tied to the profitability of a job before you talk about all company overhead and things like that. And so based off my understanding of that formula that I've actually really been looking at the last 60 days, uh, it's about 50%.
0: Okay, so... And the reason I said don't feel embarrassed is like, dude, I have some friends that have businesses that are doing five million, seven million, eight million a year. There's a business that me and Pace bought this year. They were tracking nothing. Like they just would sell stuff <laughs> like pure, sheer force, grit, push, sell, push harder, work harder, and track nothing, and it just hopefully it works out. Okay. So It works for a time. But like the reason that we have anxiety and business, in my opinion, on spending money, especially around advertising, is is not knowing with certainty what our numbers are, because if we know with certainty what the numbers are, it's just a math equation of if I put in one dollar, I should be able to turn out of that one point two five or one point five dollars out of that. And if we know that's true because we're keeping track of things correctly then we can move with confidence in our decisions, because um, you know it's it's really the uncertainty of not knowing if all of those things are actually making a difference or not, um, or mm-hmm. if you're just like throwing money at something and it's just burning and it's not really doing anything. So, yeah. like if you if you know if you can sit down and say, okay, in my business, I'm going to spend you know hundred dollars to get a sale. It's going to cost me. Fifty and, and is that hundred dollars the ad spend included in that fifty percent or is there any is that not included in that?
1: No that that would equivalent the uh, that would be the ad spend and so based on our closing rates of either one and two or maybe one and three on an off month that's pretty much the breakdown is a hundred dollars per service job.
0: Okay, so if you can. If the cost is fifty percent of that thirteen hundred divided by two, so it's six fifty plus let's call and then adding on the other hundred dollars. So it's about seven hundred and fifty dollars all in like cost of goods, fulfillment, gas, team, salesperson, all of that. So if you have seven hundred and fifty dollars, you know, and you have thirteen hundred, that's I mean, dude, like you're you're at like fifty percent, you know, even with like even with the the marketing, then the question becomes, you know, what are you comfortable having the company, you know, make on a profitability standpoint? There's margin in there. As long as these numbers are all true and like super dialed in, it sounds like you could just ramp up what you're spending and and be able to and, and I guess is it do the sales team members have the capacity to take on more leads? We do. Yeah.
1: I I firmly believe so we service our current Revenue. Um, that was another mistake I made as a business owner. there was a time at uh, I owned six work trucks, and I thought it was the coolest, you know, measurement in the moving industry. We have six trucks, and is what I learned was those six trucks would go out on the same day, two days a month, um, typically the last day or two of the month when all the leases are ending, and that's when a lot of people move, or maybe Saturdays. Saturdays are a busy day. Those six, tr- and I would only send out one truck per job we wouldn't double stack jobs on like apartments you know apartment jobs are three four hour jobs we would send one truck out to service that job and that was it um right now i own four company vehicles and our focus is maximizing the efficiency of those vehicles we don't like sending out one vehicle for one job unless of course it's like a house move and so we've been able to cut our fleet nearly in half and still maintain the same revenue stream we also don't let like company assets be a limiting factor we can pick up the phone and call enterprise truck rental that we have a commercial fleet account with and like order trucks with with no notice and so it's like we can i firmly believe with the help of my office and my team in the field my operations manager his ongoing duty is hiring so we we're doing interviews every few days so we have guys in the pipeline so if we see a huge uptick in you know scheduling right because we're scheduling one to two weeks out we have time to bring that individual in we've already interviewed them we've already got a green light from the insurance company that they're qualified to drive and background check and everything looks good and now he just needs to spend one to two days with the operations manager in the warehouse and do some training before we attach them to a seasoned team to go out in the field i mean that's fine you know that's what's cool about the moving industry is I couldn't imagine doing that with, say, like a plumbing or electricity company because there's there's a lot more to learn. Labors. Absolutely, and so that's the good Not part about my business. More, you know, Correct, I got licensing you. Licensing and all of that. Absolutely, I totally nope, yeah, no, no disrespect. Totally, totally tracking what you're saying. Like, and and that, but that's a benefit to being a moving company owner. Like, that's so cool. I don't have. um, Boom trucks, you know, like cherry picker trucks. Like, we can go get a freaking U-Haul if we need to. If we're backs against the wall and we keep selling jobs – Dude, we can service that. And so like that's a benefit to owning a moving company. We have the infrastructure, I firmly believe, to be able to handle that $2 million right now. I act as a wingman to both sales and operations. That That's where my duty comes in. And so I believe I would be taking on a full-time position for myself, a little heavier, if we were at that $2 million mark. Yeah, That would probably be my next threshold to hire someone else to help out. But I, I believe we can yeah. get it done with what we have.
0: Dude, that's super exciting. And... And like you said, it's like you can hire as you as you grow. And that again, and I know it's like harping on it, but it's like if if you know what the cost is to do all of the things and you know what that means for the business, like, do you know what the sales cycle is, too? So like if you get elite today, do you know how soon that typically is going to convert into an actual revenue to the company? Absolutely.
1: So typically, on average, we we have people call for same day moves, and we have people that call for moves four months out. But I will say on average, our clients are calling in to book a move two to three weeks out. So we will realize their revenue within 21 days.
0: That's amazing. So then you can know with certainty that if you up your spend, that within 30 days, you're going to be realizing additional revenue coming from that. And if not, you you can know that you can turn down the ad spend again back to where it's a more comfortable level to, yeah. you know, because maybe maybe what happens is your close rate goes down because now instead of your sales team following up as much as they know they should be, they have more leads. So they're missing some of their follow ups or maybe there's other things like other things start to happen when sales right. teams, you know, get to capacity. One of our companies, you know, we were like, uh, you know, this is earlier on and, you know, just not knowing is we would try to have our salespeople on, like we want them on a call every hour for the whole freaking eight hours. And what we realized <laughs> is that was a very stupid move that we made because we were just like, that's just going to mean more sales. What we found, and, and it's it, every business is different based on the sales cycle, how long the calls are, how complex, all of that that matters. So like, this isn't what I'm saying like you should do or like someone listening should definitely do, but it's like understanding what your sales cycle, sales conversation looks like Like with that particular business, you know, we found that it really made more sense for our sales team to have only five or six calls in a day, like as far as like, because they would get calls booked on their calendar. They're typically, you know, 45 minute calls and they'll have 15 minutes to do admin, like CRM stuff for the lead, make sure the notes are updated, make sure whatever needs to happen after happens, um, you know, invoices sent out and things like that. And then we, you know, we found way more effectiveness and more conversion when we had them, on a little bit less scheduled calls and then they had more time to follow up so they had you know two three hours to follow up with calls they had the day before calls they had the week before the month before two months before so they can keep you know because the fortune's always in the follow-up with the sales sales teams and so that was a mistake transparently that we made we're just like yeah we just have them on calls all day we'll get more sales and it was actually less and we got more sales (laughs) when they were on a little bit less calls Cause they're able to actually follow up so that's you know so that's something to you know just to be looking at and set i don't know look at it for two months like what what do you spend yeah. on ads right now
1: so we're our marketing is we're about all in our marketing budget is gonna be eighty thousand for the year
0: like i mean you don't have to go you know crazy and be like all right twenty thousand a month like you don't have to go sure. like, right to that but take it up thirty percent or forty okay. percent. Watch it really close for you mm-hmm. know thirty days and just see if the metrics are changing with the sales team, like and decreasing, or if the metrics are, you know, are they're, they're still on trend with what the results have been previously. Wrench it up a little bit more, another month goes by. Obviously, you know, you understand how many, you know, movers are needed based on the amount of sales that are happening and you know, to fulfill on that, and that's just another math equation. I mean, we have that at our our virtual assistant company. We have to have a certain amount of people that are, you know, uh, our recruiters are recruiting in the Philippines and a certain amount of people going through classes, through training, to then be able to fulfill for x amount of customers and it all starts with that beginning part of the equation which is how much does it cost to get you know for us that that customer so for you it's like how much does it cost to get the move okay is it profitable yes it is okay let's add on more to that and if we're adding on more to that what does that mean for the sales team how many more calls do they need to make and then how many calls is capacity for the sales team where then you need to hire another salesperson yeah. and then with that amount of sales, then with the fulfillment, which is the movers, then it means how many movers do you need? And you know, that, that operation support that, you know, you're talking about um, needing as well. So it's just all starting there and then following that through. And like for us, we'll have like projections that we'll look at on, on a Google sheet where it's like that starting point all the way down. So it's like you can throw in, okay, if we had X amount more leads, it means this many more calls for sales and, you know, all the way down. And if you have that, then you're just looking at the numbers daily, weekly, monthly, and then diagnosing if there is a decline in sales. Is it, are the the leads decrease in value or is it, there's some issues with the sales team where they're just, they're too overwhelmed or what, what is it? Right? So man, I'm excited about like where you're at and you're, dude,
1: (laughs) I'm I'm glad I dude. just talking with you. I'm like, I'm about to go tell my sales team it's Christmas morning again. And Kyle's up in the marketing budget. So get ready, ready for some more sales.
0: Dude. It's like, why, why not? You know, it's like, and, and again, it's like, you can control it. And it's like, take a budget you're comfortable with. I wouldn't say if you're spending 8,000, go to 9,000. Like that might not do enough to like really make much of a difference. Like, Right. Go from 8 to 11. Okay. You know, whatever your risk tolerance is comfortable with, you know, give it a couple months to see how how that goes. Because certain lead channels also have a diminishing return, too. You know, you can't just spend a gazillion dollars on Google Ads and it'll be the same return. So there's also that diminishing return that happens as well. but it's exciting stuff. I, th- I think I've got my, uh, my project. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I would look at doing. And if you're able to do that, what would you say is, you know, cause that, that seems and really again, impressive and super cool, you know, just that you're actually tracking the numbers because if you mm-hmm. if you're doing that, you're going to make good educated decisions and yes. when you can make decisions from data. You're not making decisions on your gut. You're making it an educated decision as a business owner of, this is what you know the data shows and the data i like at our companies it's like data over drama i don't want to hear yes. the story of what happened i want to hear or i want to look at the data that'll tell me the story of what happened okay and, and i know you know we're we're coming up on time but i'd love to talk you know just on at least one more one more thing on some of the team team side what do you think's your biggest challenge with your team right now like i know you're talking about like improving things with the team. Like what do you think is the biggest mm-hmm. thing holding you back from getting to where you wanna see the team at right now?
1: That that's a perfect question. It's obviously a new year. It's an opportunity for a company to to do a fresh start without disrupting too much water with your team. You know, I I would imagine a, Coming into your team and offering a meeting in the middle of July, that's saying we're changing all of this stuff could could be a lot more difficult. So we just did a company meeting two days ago, and we're we're going to be changing just a few things, not nothing drastic. But one of the things is our uniform for our guys in the field has always been the cheapest screen printing T shirts that money could buy. Uh, that was the way we did it. The, you know, they sweat through them, whatever. And I'm like, no, we, we want to be marketed and we want to be portrayed as a premium brand. So we are transitioning to dry fit style polos for the entire team. You know what the service we're providing, we are inside someone's house. We are moving their child's crib, right? It's a very intimate time. And I'm like, we need to completely, we need to be that Chick-fil-A of the moving industry. The yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We're a customer service business that just happens to offer moving services. That's the way I tell every applicant that I've ever interviewed. That's what I want them to understand. And so if you're a mover, I mean, dude, props to you. Because that is not an easy job by any means. I mean, it is physical labor for 8 to 10 10 hours a day. And you're dealing with the stress of a client. The client, I mean, moving is like one of the top three stressful times in someone's life. So it is
0: the worst thing ever. I hate moving
1: it is right and so that's difficult in our industry and so my struggle right now with our team is how do we get them on board to accept these new company practices we've we've tried over the years we've said hey tan or black shorts only and then they show up in adidas gym shorts and as a business owner in the moving industry when finding labor is a very difficult task how do you how do you offer a mover's wage to someone to do manual labor that still has to pass a background check. Like we can't just hire a thug. Like they're inside someone's house moving their yeah, things. So yeah. we need to have that, that high level candidate at, you know, it's not the highest paying industry. And, and these things, we try to marry that together. It's just like, what are we going to do? Are we going to fire them because they showed up in Adidas shorts? And I'm starting to tell myself that unfortunately we're going to have to, if we're going to, if we're going to make these changes, we have to hold the line and be firm on that. But that—that that is a struggle is how to get these guys on board with that.
0: Yeah, so there's the carrot and the stick, right? It's like, you know, carrot, incentive, stick, like punishment. And so yeah. I – What we try to do, and we're not perfect, we have tons of problems, we just fired someone yesterday, like we, you know, we like, it's just every business has these problems. And we all just try to do the best that we can, and be the best well intentioned owners of businesses that we can thing that you could look at is, you know, what is the what is the incentive that is offered to like the team members that are the movers that, you know, communicate the best with your clients, and that you know, dress well and that, you know, you're proud for them to represent the brand. What do what do they get for incentives? I don't have a response to that. We've tried a handful of different bonus programs, you know, five
1: star reviews, showing up on time every day. You get a bonus. And it's like we, we had a bonus program last year on paper. It was published to our team and it was I think it was very simple. It was be at work before seven AM, which is your start time, be on time and um, get like five five-star reviews from a client per month and you would get mm-hmm. a, a few a few hundred dollars or something per month. And it was like, no one would achieve that because they would come into the office at like 7, 10 one day. And it's just like, it's discouraging as the business owner to try to implement those bonuses. And I know that it, it comes back to me. Everything is the business owner's fault. So can I come up with a new program that does work? Absolutely. I just don't have that right now, so I don't. I don't have an uh, answer for you on that.
0: And that's totally fine. You know, it's like, and it's always testing, right? Like you implement, yeah. like we've implemented bonus things, and then like it doesn't work. They don't hit it, and it's like, oh, maybe it was too unrealistic of a thing. And I think around that, it's like the bonus or you know the incentive is you know something around like what is the main problem trying to be solved? You know, obviously, if someone shows up at you know supposed to be there at seven, they show up at seven forty. It's like that's a major problem. But yeah. you know, maybe it's it's like, you know, what is the biggest value add to the company that the team could be doing when they're working with clients or out in the field that you know you would want to reward? Because I, I don't know if if they show up seven yeah. ten, like, are they still able to be successful? You know, yes. or you know, I don't know. Yes
1: they are exactly the grand scheme of things arriving at 7:10 does nothing to the job our our customers we give them a 60 minute time window that way we can cover anywhere in the phoenix valley within that 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 window so 10 minutes late they're still going to get to the job site on time to the customer the customer won't know a difference and so the best thing that we could incentivize a team to do is to just do such a kick butt job for that customer. You know, I call it flirting with the customer in a a professional manner, right? You're, You're inside someone's home. I'm not telling you to go and talk their ear off because you do have a job to do. But there is a fine line between just keeping your mouth shut and doing the job and not even showing the customer an ounce of human whereas if you can show the customer provide that service and you know joke with them a couple times and make them smile and you earn their trust you earn their referral that is the most rewarding thing i just talked to you about the cost to acquire a customer but i'm pretty sure if that customer then refers us to their neighbor there's there is a little bit of a cost associated with that we can get into but ultimately there's not a dollar figure tied to that referral cost and so that would be the best thing I could reward someone for.
0: And sometimes, yeah. like, you know, testing different things where it's sometimes, like, money isn't always the thing. Like, we did, yes. you know, we've done things with, like, Raffle Rewards, like, we, you know, like, Diamondbacks tickets, Suns tickets, uh, you know, different things where, like, sometimes, especially, you know, certain, you know, types of workers, they don't, like, a $100 they're, like, happy for, but they're, like, whoa, like, I've never even been to a Suns game. Like, this Kay. is cool, you know? So, yeah. maybe it's, like, thinking about what are other experiences that they could experience? Like we did a thing in December and you know, we had the bonuses where it was like air new AirPods. Uh, one was suns tickets. One was, you know, Phoenix open tickets with drinks and food included, even though it's like, or, or we could have gave them $150 or $250, but you know, thinking of like, what are things and maybe even asking them what would be, you know, something that you guys would be excited about. And we're asking the, you know, the, the manager that, that runs the teams that's out in the field, like, what are the things they talk about that they're excited about? And you know, that that would be meaningful to, to them, but it sounds like the reviews and then also, you know, getting the referrals of the moves would be the biggest support or help for the business so figuring you know how to incentivize around that and but i do agree on the you know if people aren't adhering to like how you do things like you just it's just you have to keep that hiring funnel you know the same way it goes for getting the new client is having that funnel for the new hires it's like if you know that 100 applications come in out of those 100 there's you know 27 of them will actually make it to an interview out of 27 there's actually going to be 10 that get offered a job out of those 10 offered four take it it's like, if you just know your numbers on the hiring funnel side too, that also gives more certainty to let people go. because that's yes. you know, with our sales teams or, you know, VA business, it's like, we just know it's going to be X amount of people that have to go through this funnel to actually end up working within the, the role. So you can confidently let someone go because you have someone in the pipeline to replace them with. You know, it's like thinking about like Chick-fil-A, like, you know, do they let someone show up in like a different attire. This is what we do here. Like This is how yep. we do things here. And this, yep. is, this is just part of the job. Like, this is the bare minimum. <laughs> this is what we do. That's it. We actually did learn that lesson as far as the hiring
1: numbers go. Um, in 2022, I contracted with a firm that specifically did all the interviews and application reviews and everything and made sure that we had weekly interviews. So, um, sp- And they were specific to the moving industry. So I learned a lot through them. And the Best takeaway I had with contracting with them for a year was it is a numbers game. It is the exact same game as sales. It is, you must advertise for ads, which we did for for uh, hiring. And it was, we knew that to schedule 20 interviews, one would work for us two weeks after hiring. There's a terrible formula, but that was the numbers. And then last year is when I hired the full-time operations manager, who is awesome. He um, He's actually a, a previous employee of mine and knows the business very well. And with the ongoing hiring and that funnel, we both agree that we are no longer handcuffed by any employee that's not willing to adhere to the company policy. And so I don't like bragging that we're quicker to fire or anything because I don't want to fire. I believe people people fire themselves and that's that's an important lesson to learn they're making a choice and so yeah i mean we just let someone go on december 30th because in the last 2 weeks he's just shown up in a random t-shirt and we're like dude you've worked here for 8 months how many uniforms do you have like show up with a uniform on and it was just hey man you're a good worker we've liked you i like you as a person but it's a very simple ask is to show up in a company uniform to work
0: and that was it. Yeah. yeah. And it and it shows the, the standard to the other team as well of like yes. what's acceptable and what's not. It's like what's what's tolerated is going to persist and other people see that and you know it's unfortunate, but like that, you know, you getting getting on top of those those numbers on that is super helpful another metric that we track and i think has been helpful in higher churn roles more specifically so like you know one of ours is like video editors like we have a lot of video editors and mm-hmm. um as we track the average amount of time the team members in like certain roles stay with us i don't know if you track that so it's like we look at on average this role is going to last for 13 months or 16 months
1: okay I love that. I mean, we do loosely. I don't have an exact metric for you, but I know, you know, an average mover is oh, going yeah. to work for the company about 90 days. You know, we have guys that are 6 to 12 months. We have guys that are 6 to 12 hours. Uh, so, three three months is kind of what we <laughs> expect.
0: Yeah. And, and so, you know, and it's not like that's, again, like... It's not something that's the end of the world to, you know, know that perfectly, but like that could be something the operations manager or whoever's, you know, really involved in the recruiting and hiring, you know, just Mm -hmm. knowing that it just gives more planning. And the reason why I say that becomes more important is when you go to 2 million, 3 million, 4 million a year in revenue, and then it becomes more people intensive and you're doing a forecast for the business of like, okay, if we want to go to this amount of revenue, it's going to mean this many jobs. How many team members is that going to be? So then you could accurately forecast, we're going to have to have this amount of hiring happening because we know they're going to churn within three months or four months. So even though it looks like we're going to have enough number in July, because we've went to a higher revenue number, it's really, we're going to be losing more, you know, a higher percentage churn of our team members based on that. So it it just, it's more helpful in in the forecasting when, when you have that piece sorted out. Um, So not something that has to be done immediately, but like as you're growing and adding in revenue, it gets a little bit more complex with the amount of bodies running around doing things. No, that's, it's absolutely 100% true. So in, in, I know, you know, as we, as we come up to the, to the end here, Kyle, most of the people that listen to this podcast, they're like, I'm, I'm more of an introvert and that's where, you know, I kind of put the podcast around that is like speaking to my you know, fellow introverts and, you know, it's not, I'm not a big visionary with, you know, like this big personality on social media. Like I I try to get content out there regularly because I want to help people Mm and, um, you know, work, work with other business owners. But what would you say are your biggest lessons or tips that, you know, you would, you would share with those listening to break through that solopreneur stage into getting to where you're at?
1: It's easier to tell someone that being on the other side now of course right because that person that's receiving this advice is like there's no way they're not seeing it through that veil and i would just speak to them specifically and just say you need to understand that by delegating tasks at your company there is a twofold benefit that comes to that one you're buying your time back because if you are a solopreneur you, you don't have any extra time. That is your life. And so by hiring and delegating, you are buying back some of your time. And also you're allowing that individual to go out and produce more revenue for you. It, it, it's a win-win to oversee them and allow them and give them what they need to go out and succeed and help your business succeed. And so it's, it's one of those jumps that you do need to take, um, but it, it will work out tenfold for
0: you. That is, you know, on this podcast, I talk about like building a business beyond yourself. And that's truly that step of, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, being okay to delegate and understanding when you delegate, people are going to screw stuff up. People are going to make mistakes. We all do. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. We all all make mistakes and things that that happen. And, you know, and, and one of the things I tell people is, you know, when you start delegating, delegate some like some of the simple tasks first and You know, don't delegate maybe like managing the entire company's financials if someone's never done that before. Like, that's probably not a good idea. But like, you know, starting small things and, you know, you stack, you build trust and you know, you'll have to fire people. It just it's gonna happen. And that's okay, because they're going to be able to move on to something that's better that they're better fit for and you're going to bring someone else on that's a better fit to do the thing. And so that's, you know, I, I love that. And, you know, truly the difference, I think, between that solopreneur to where you've been able to get to Kyle, and, you know, I appreciate you uh, coming on and, you know, being open and, and and transparent to talk through some of the things that you're working on some of the the challenges. And I'm excited to to hear you know the the changes that you know you're gonna be making i mean sometimes when i'm talking to people and like what you know not even on the podcast and it's like oh man like this person's business is a freaking train wreck they got a lot of things i'm like you have a really cool business that it seems like there's some small tweaks that you can make that are going to be a big levers of change well so really really excited man i appreciate that um you know, respectfully,
1: you, you simplified it for me. And I, that sounds super cliche, but I'm like, dude, this has been just an awesome hour talking with you because it's just hit me in the face. And it's like, dude, you're right. Just some, some minor tweaks, uh, with some huge upsides. So, I'm I'm very excited.
0: I love it. Well, thanks again, Kyle. Um, where, where can people, you know, go to, to find you, you know, I'll have my team put your info in the show notes, like whether it's like Instagram, um, or anything yeah. that you'd like to share as we wrap up. I appreciate that. Um, I'd love to connect with everybody on
1: Instagram. My personal is Kyle underscore Pearson moving. Um, trying to put out as much content as I can lately. I'm learning how to do that. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a great way to connect with me. I'd love to connect with any other business owners just because we're, we're all in this together. You know, we can all learn something from somebody else.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Kyle. And we will see everyone else in the next episode.